Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast, the podcast where we talk about things uh, that we've encountered or read or experienced that have made the Scriptures become more real for us, and as a result, we draw more power from them. I'm your co-host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm here with my co-host, Lamar Newmeyer. Hi, Lamar. How are you doing? I'm just, how are you, Kerry? Good, good. You're in a different location this time. I am. I'm uh, at my mom's place here, just uh, visiting with her, and she's interested in this stuff. So we thought we'd let her be part of it. She, she, this way, she doesn't have to listen to the podcast. Although I don't think she can hear you because I've got the headphones on. But oh well, uh, she'll, so she'll, she'll have to listen to it later to hear what you have to say. That's right. She'll only hear one half the conversation. That's right. Anyway, hi, mom. So she says hi. All right. Um, anyway, great, great to be with you. And uh, I, we just have so much fun stuff in the reading for this week, more than, than really um, a person could possibly uh, get through and talk about everything. And so there are a number of little elements to this one, but we thought we'd hit um, a couple of key elements, uh, touching, I guess, just a little bit on the storyline, but also there's that extra reading in the Come, Follow Me manual this week. Uh, about uh, what it means to be of the house of Israel. And of course, that's one of my favorite subjects. And I know you love that subject. So we'll hit on that as well. Does yes, that sound good yeah. to you? Yeah, yeah, very good. So um, now you, you, our listeners may remember that last week we uh, we had a visit with Camille Frank Olson, and we touched on a number of things about uh, women in Genesis. And, and uh, so there are elements of this story that we covered there, but there's some things we didn't really talk about and, and go into depth. And I've also, in other uh, interviews talked about um, Jacob and his experience uh, heading up to Bethel, but uh, Lamar had some uh, insights as we we always just kind of chat a little bit before we get this going while we're hooking up our mics and everything. And Lamar always has this cool stuff he gets me interested in, so I thought it might be worth talking about. Uh, as as from last week, kind of the last thing we finished is that Esau wanted to kill Jacob, and Rebecca was telling Jacob goodbye. Yeah, uh, and and. Yeah, that's exactly right. Get out of Dodge. So, um, uh, and so Jacob is leaving and you get Isaac blessing Jacob. And I mean, this is a difficult farewell and so on. And on his way up, he stops at a place uh, that is uh, called Luz at the time, but he'll rename it Bethel because of the uh, experience he has there, which means house of God, which that's the same thing we call temples, right? It's a very much a temple experience. Uh, I thought you had some interesting insights, uh, Lamar, about the kind of ascending and uh, dissension that we see here that I hadn't talked about in any of the other uh, uh, podcasts that I thought would be worth hearing. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, this is interesting. I was doing some uh, listening to some other people, and, and I, I oftentimes try to find new insights that I haven't seen before and what I haven't heard. And I found this guy on the internet that I've actually followed for quite a while. Actually, his name is Dr. Bob Utley. And... Um, he, he's a, he, he uh, his website or the website he is on oftentimes is called the free Bible commentary. Anyway, he had some really interesting things and he was talking about this area and he said, Luz, which was what it was called before is, is uh, the Hebrew word is almond. So it's, it's place of almonds or almond trees or something like that. And he renames this, but here's the interesting thing. Um, now, Dr. Uh, Bob Utley is not a member of our faith, um, but the more he talked, the more I thought this sounds in every way possible like a, a temple experience really yeah, so which I'm, this, I'm convinced it is oh yeah and and oftentimes this happens with moses moses on a mountain every every time he's end up on a mountain mountains are, are oftentimes uh substitutes for a temple or 
maybe not even a substitute. Let's call it a natural temple. Yeah, I, I think temples are substitutes for mountains, maybe. <laughs> uh, I agree. I, I love being on a mountain. I know, yeah. Nothing I love more than being on the summit of a mountain, just looking over creation. I just think it's fantastic. I'm a big hiker, backpacker, uh, rock climber. So well, and, and, and temples really are uh, conceptually a reenactment of what we call sometimes the primordial hillock or that first bit of dry land in creation. So it's a high place that's closest to heaven and so on. So really, right. in some ways, they are a replacement for, you know, Mount Sinai or Mount Shillam that the brother of Jared goes on or, or the, the primordial hillock that Adam was on or whatever. The right. temples are, are our best uh, substitute for that right and uh he nibbly has the temple in the cosmos he nibbly yeah. talks about that and anyway i won't go into that but that's some fantastic reading there anyway this what what uh bob utley was talking about he talked about this and oftentimes we think of a ladder jacob's ladder like a ladder with rungs you know like a like a ladder you're going up and a ladder come down but yeah. he, he gave some different uh context on there and he gave you know went into some uh some hebrew idioms and stuff that seemed like this more like stacked stones so think of like stones that are stacked like uh, like stairs. So maybe it's more stairs than it is a ladder. Now, yeah. again, I'm not claiming to be the expert on this. And so maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But and you may know some uh, some other words for this, but these stairs. And so we see I, I used to think about this <laughs> when I was younger, but I would think about this ladder and I'm like, these angels are coming up and down. And I mean, what are they bumping into each other? They go around each other. They got to wait and they call up. Anyway, it made a lot more sense if this is stacked stones or stairs that we have an ascension and descension and what's happening with these steps and the, the way he wrestles with them and all these things. The more I thought about the symbols that we're seeing there, in every way possible, it sounded like a temple experience to me. What a temple stand for in the steps and what's the things that you think about and what happens at these different stages and the ascending and descending, you know, the the. The, the messengers of God coming down to earth and they're delivering messages and then us ascending up toward God and, and passing yeah. these, you know, different areas. So, yeah. And that's a part I hadn't really thought of before this idea that, uh, I mean, the latter, we usually think of Jacob being able to ascend up, but actually the highlight in the vision seems to be someone coming down to him. And, and really that's the symbolism yeah. when we have steeples or altars or a temple uh, it's it's that it's that which connects heaven and earth. So it's both bringing us up to a higher place. And it's also a place that allows someone more holy than us to come down to meet us. And so I loved that idea you had of both uh, ascent and descent where, where God, in a way, um, condescends to, to come and, well, and meet us uh, and commune with us. Exactly. It's a place of communion. We're communing here. Yeah. This is... Well, this is our play, or this is our connection between heaven and earth, which, you know, the, the Tower of Babel was a false one. They were trying right. to make their own temple so that they could build their way up there and make their own false communion. But that's not what it is. This is the right way. This is the temple where we commune with God, where, where we're able to have revelation and where we're able to have visitors. They come up and come down, and then eventually we ascend up the same way through these processes, the, the, these processes processes right, process yeah. there you go yeah uh, yeah and, and covenants and so yeah and and it fits so well in with our our kind of commute and commune theme right because abraham up. is commuting to syria because he's he did what he was supposed to getting this blessing and now he has to leave but he's going to try and find someone he can marry that's a covenant wife so his this is part of his commute to be with god uh, and that's one of the themes. I mean, he's going to go up there, he's going to come back, but all of it is following God's will. So it's his commute to be with God. And periodically on this commute, 
he has this important communion with God. Uh, that is this theme that we keep having, that, that we're on our commute to be with God, and we need to keep having that regular communion. And I love it in this one, because in the, in the vision, mostly God is communing with him, but as soon as he wakes up, then he says things, and, and basically he communes with God. Uh, and sometimes it works that way, right? Sometimes it's not immediate back and forth. It's a little bit in stages, but uh, this communion is so important as we're on our commute to be with God. Exactly. These things happen. It, it seems like they're always going somewhere. Like, uh, go back to the go back to the land of your fathers. No, but get out of here because someone's going to kill you. But yeah. no, no, no. Go, go back to the land of your fathers. And get a wife. No, no, no. get out of here. Go. So they're always going somewhere, doing something. And that I think that's part of the condition that we have a journey in life. We're going somewhere, and you know, you know, maybe you know, in our own life. Oh well, we take a job here, or you took a a job in Israel, and you're over in Israel. You're back. So part of life is traveling and moving around. And what happens to you along the way during your commute? What times do we take to commune? So that I know it's kind of a funny thing. It just kind of happened in one of our first episodes, but that theme keeps coming up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was an accidentally inspired theme. I believe in, in uh, I really do believe in inspired accidents. So, oh, sure. um, so he, he finally gets up to uh, Bethel. Uh, or not sorry, uh, he leaves Bethel and he gets up to Padan Aram, or, which Aram is the Hebrew word for Syria. So same thing, Aram and Syria. He gets, uh, and when we, he says he's a wandering Aramean, that means he's a wandering Syrian or vice versa right there, the, the same thing. Um, and, and he gets up there and he comes to the same well, I assume that the servant uh, of uh, Abraham had met Rebecca at. Uh, this is just like the the well of destiny, we could call it, or something, the the, the romance well of destiny or something like that. Love is born at this well. Uh, and uh, and he's looking for Laban, his uncle. He's related to him in a couple of different ways. And um, and they say, yeah, we, we know him. And, and uh, Rachel, his daughter, is coming. And uh, Jacob just falls in love with Rachel. I mean, this is love at first sight, right? To the point where they say, well, uh, she's coming to the, the well and she'll want water, but we can't really do anything. We have to wait till we get a big bunch of guys uh, to roll the stone away from the well's mouth. This is how they control ownership of the water, which is like the most important thing around, right? Right, right. And, uh, and then heavy stone over the top. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and, and we get in verse nine. So we're in chapter 29 and verse nine, uh, while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She kept them. Um, and it came to pass that Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Like he's, uh, I mean, apparently he's one strong guy, but I think he's also so inspired by love. He can just roll this stone out of the way himself, doesn't need anybody's help, and he's getting water for, so he is. Rebecca's son, right? Rebecca was pretty good at this well with water and apparently pretty buff to be able to do all the, the lifting that she did. So now her son comes and does the same thing in return for uh, his cousin, her niece, right? But anyway, uh, it, it, you've got this kind of motif of just love and springing to action at the well, uh, you know, at the water hole, we could say, or whatever, well, but this stone uh, it's over here. No problem at all. Just with the stone right on. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can get that yeah. for you. Yeah, well, no, yeah. Yeah, I got it for you. Don't call the yeah. other guys. I'll just do it myself here. Yeah. And a little bit about Rachel. Um, I, I often, I wish we had more description of Rachel, but she's a keeper of the sheep. So she's a shepherdess. 
Yeah. And, um, and you don't, there's not always, she seems like an outdoorsy person. So she's, she sounds like she's strong. So I, you know, I picture this, you know, here's this, this girl comes up and she drives up in her Jeep and jumps out with her, you know, hiking boots on. And she's like all outdoorsy, everything that I looked for when I was at BYU. Um, I'm like, oh, this outdoorsy girl. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of what I, I picture Rachel as. She's a, she's kind of a, a um, she's a tough individual on herself. It sounds like she yeah. knows her way around. She's no wilting flower. No, she's a can do individual. So, yeah. Yeah. So we have this kind of beginning of this love story, right? And Jacob is, uh, agrees to work for Rachel. Um, and one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is in here. If I can uh, find it, Laban says, why don't you work, uh, stay here with me and, uh, and work seven years, and then you can marry my daughter. And we get in verse 20, this fantastic verse. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her, right? I mean, that's, that's as good a love story as you're going to get that like, yeah. he worked seven years and it just seemed, it just passed so quickly because he loved her so much. Right. And, but that's, that's, that great love is part of what sets up the tension and the tragedy in this story. And it's not like a, a tragedy with no happy ending there there. I think they all yeah. get to a good place eventually, but, uh, but the fact that he ends up kind of being tricked and he wakes up uh, the day after his, his marriage and finds out he's married, not the woman that he has worked for, for seven years and loved this entire time. And it yeah. was but a few days for him, how much he loved her. He's married someone else. Right. Uh, that always seemed like a, like a real scam. But by the way, let's, what goes around comes around when you, when you steal the birthright by wearing some, some <laughs> skin and, and you, uh, and yeah, yeah. you, know, you, you, pull a few fast ones on your dad. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe this is some comeuppance that he gets back from yeah. for doing that. But anyway, yeah, you're right. Seven years. That seems like a long time. I mean, most people can't hardly wait, you know, three or four or five months uh, or maybe more than that, but you know, a year to, to an engagement, but seven years, seven yeah. years to work for somebody. And then don't even, you don't even end up with her. Yeah. Now, uh, and uh, this has to be hard for Leah who knows? Okay, he's going to be disappointed. I mean, she's starting out in a difficult position. He's starting out in a difficult position. Uh, it, it, when it talks about um, that, uh, Jacob loved in, in one of the places here. It talks about that uh, he loves Rachel um, more than Leah. We get it in verse thirty. He said also then to Rachel, and he also he loved also Rachel more than Leah. So that suggests that he loves Leah. He just loves Rachel more. Um, but then the next verse, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. So I don't know that Jacob really hated her, but it's certainly, uh, you know, you put those two verses together and you say, what should I do with it? Well, I think he loves uh, Leah in a very different way than he loves Rachel. He probably loves Leah like a sister-in-law <laughs> because that's what the intent was, uh, yeah, right. not like your lover, which is who Rachel is. And so Everyone here is in a really awkward, difficult position that is painful. And that plays out in the whole childbearing competition, as it were, uh, which is a sad place to be as well. Uh, just I've read also elsewhere, by the way, that the word hated here is not how we use the word hated, like you despise, disgust. It's more of a comparison. Yeah, maybe so let's see here. Let's, let's, uh, I, I don't remember that word, but let's look it up. We've got verse 31. Is that right? Uh, I'd have to look into it more. The, the kind of definition that's coming up looks hateful, but uh, a lot of times 
you get really simple definitions here and you have to actually look at how the word is used every time right. to, to see what the connotations are. And my guess is that what you've heard is someone who's done that. They've looked at yeah. all the different connotations yeah, and they say, yeah, it's again, not, it was, it was not Bob quite Utley. here. It was Bob, Dr. Bob Utley that did that. He went through some Hebrew comparisons and I don't want to, if you want to go look, look at his podcast, he's got some great podcasts on Genesis. So I would recommend him. He's really good. Um, but he, I, that's something I had not heard before. I mean, I know that the Bible language and, and old English, sometimes they use words differently than we are, but hated sound pretty, sounded pretty strong to me. And I was like, is it hated, hated? Like he yeah. hated her, like despised her. He has lots of children with her. So I don't think yeah. he hated her. I think. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I, I think that's just their way of saying, well, since Leah is not as in favor as Rachel, then uh, God helps out the situation a little bit here. Although in a way it also makes it more difficult. Right. But she has right. these, she ends up uh, having six children, not all, well, obviously not all at the same time, but she has four and then it's a while and then two more. Um, so she has Reuben, right. And if we look uh, uh, literally it's uh, uh, from the word Roe, which means to see and bend son, look a son. That's literally what Reuben means. Right. right. Uh, so the Reuben, uh, and then uh, she feels like this is God answering her prayers. And now my husband will love me. Right. And, and so she's looking for him to feel about her the same way he feels about Rachel. Yeah. She wants to fit in. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can't blame him for not, I mean, he fell in love with someone and I think he, like we said, he loves her in a different way, but, uh, but I don't blame Leah for feeling like, well, that's my husband and he doesn't love me the same way he loves my sister. Right. I mean, this is just a terrible position for everyone to be in. Thanks a lot, Laban. But, um, but it yeah, works out 14, 14 years in or more than 14 years in now, because he served seven years for Rachel, ended up with Leah, then another seven years for Rachel. And so there's taken yeah. time and now there's, got although, Although what he, what he does is, uh, uh, you see it back here in verse 27, um, fulfill her week, and then we'll also give you this service uh, that if you'll serve yet another seven years. And then Jacob did and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter to wife. So he gets Rachel um, in debt, as it were, right? So right. He, it's one week, and then he gets to marry Rachel, but he's now obligated to work another seven years. Uh, so by the time he starts earning anything, it will be 14 years of working. Uh, but he has a, a week between these two wedding, weddings, which I, again, like so awkward, so painful, not, not, not just awkward as in uncomfortable, but like painfully awkward and difficult, this situation. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's definitely paying for his, uh, for his previous life and being a supplanter and a trickster and <laughs> he, he got tricked himself. And yeah. anyway, but you're right. So here we now start seeing the beginnings of the tribes of Israel start coming here, beginning with, look, a son, Reuben. Yeah, and, and I'll just say this also, that uh, it, to me, Jacob's journey, or this commute we're talking about, his journey that will end up in this fantastic experience he has, wrestling the angel and, and so on, and, and receiving these great blessings, uh, some of it is because he shows that he's determined to serve God no matter what. And if you put yourself, his son, Joseph, is going to have a similar experience here. But if you put yourself in Jacob's position, as far as he can see, he did what he was supposed to in getting the birthright blessing. I think Rebecca was probably guiding him and saying, oh, I know this is how it's supposed to go. And so he's doing what his mother, his righteous inspired mother is telling him to do. Gets the blessing one way with pottage, gets the blessing another way by, you know, it, it, like you say, we have this theme of trickery in a dark tent kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, and, he, and he gets it that way. But he's been doing what God 
as far as he understands what God wants him to do and what has to happen. Well, he has to leave home and he'll never see his mom again and so on because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And so now he gets up there and he's trying to do what God wants him to do. And he's being honorable and serving seven years for Rachel. And what happens? He gets this really difficult family situation and he has to work 14 years when he thought he was only going to work seven years to be able to, to marry Rachel. Uh, and, and then we'll see as it goes on. I mean, just time after time, it seems like even though he's doing everything God asks, the tables keep getting turned on him. Again and again and again, and yet he continues to do whatever God asks him to do. Uh, And and I think that's what life is about. That's what our commute is about. Sometimes uh, there are crashes along the way, and sometimes it's us in the crash, and yet we have to keep going on the commute and keep communing with God and doing whatever he asks us to do, to show that we're determined to serve him at all hazards or all costs. I I think that's what we're seeing in our great, 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 great grandpa, the great patriarch, uh, Jacob. I think that's a great takeaway. That's a fantastic takeaway from that is, you know, sometimes you're like, hey, I'm doing the right thing. And why am I experiencing all these things? And maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe the struggle is a struggle that the Lord has put in front of you because he knows you're going to grow from it. Just because you're doing the right thing doesn't mean it's going to be sunshine and roses all the time. Sometimes it's going to be rocky roads. Sometimes it's going to be tough. Sometimes even though you're doing what you think is all the right things, you still need a learning experience and you're going to get it right in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to be the story of scriptures. And it certainly has been the story so far, right? Abraham, that's what we saw. You don't get all of Isaac's story, but you see a little bit of it in there. We're seeing it with Jacob. We're going to see it with Joseph. We're going to see it with Moses. We're going to see it with lots of people. Uh, But it's definitely a theme that the great uh, men and women of God, sometimes because they're doing God's will. It's difficult, but it's just often difficult and difficult and difficult. Now, there are great blessings, great joy, great peace along the way. And that's what we have to realize is that we don't wait for the joy and peace. We experience it through the difficulties. Agreed. Agreed. So perseverance and endurance to the end. Is yeah. We and we, we see it happening for Leah as well. I mean, I think in the end, it does feel like they get to a good family, they're making decisions together later, they're traveling together. It seems like they get to where they're in an okay place. And some of it may be that they both have to have had children to feel like, okay, uh, this is all all right, this is working out. But they get there, but this is tough for Leah. I I, I really feel for Leah and I feel for Rachel as well. And that's why she's going to be so happy when she has more children, right? So she has uh, Reuben. uh, And then we get verse 33, she conceived and bare a son. And uh, his name is, is Simeon, which comes from the word Shema or to hear. Uh, so she's saying, okay, God is hearing me. And note how these are, are themes that we're seeing, the, the importance of knowing that God sees you or hears you. Remember, Hagar named that well uh, after God seen her, right? She's got the Roa uh, in there, the sea. God right. saw me because she's like, okay, I'm seen, I'm known of God. And Leah is, is like, God's heard me and, and look at what is happening for me and so on. It's, and, and we all have that need to know that God knows us and loves us and is speaking to us. Uh, this I, same I, thing that was carried when he said, uh, Moses, my son, or Joseph, my son, right? That knows you by name, knows your relationship. That's what we're all looking for. Very good. That's excellent. Yeah. So she's seen and heard. Uh, she has a son. She has two sons now. Yep. And now we have a third son. Well, third son, Levi, that's, that's joined. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, uh, she's having lots of children to begin with. And you can imagine what this is for. This is uh, uh, lots of excitement and, and joy for her in the midst of also some sorrow and pain. In the meantime, Rachel has the, the joy of that she's with, the, you know, they have this intense love affair, as it were. I mean, married love affair, but an intense love affair. And yet she's never having children and her 
her sister is having all these children. So they're both having sorrow and joy all mixed together, right? And poor Jacob, I can't, I, I wouldn't want to be in Jacob's shoes. Um, <laughs> he's caught uh, between, a, a, you know, he's caught in a tough spot. Two sisters here that he's married to both. I don't yeah. know. That's, uh, we don't understand the cultures and how it might have been. And I'd love to hear the rest of the story someday. I'd like to hear them recount how it really happened or watch the videotape or whatever it is. I'm sure there's a lot more that we don't know. I mean, we're reducing tens of years into a couple of verses, so we don't yeah. know the whole story. So I'm sure there's more to it, but we get the gist of it, that there's a lot of heartache and pain, but there's also good things happening. The beginnings of the chosen people of Israel is, is coming here. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So then we get uh, Judah being born and his name means praise. Uh, Did you cover so Levi on. already? Yeah, we did Levi. Oh, Levi. Okay, join. Yeah, yeah, yeah joined. Okay, so Levi. And yeah. then, and then Judah. And then Rachel sees that uh, she's uh, not able. I mean, she's not just seeing it. She's convinced now. Okay, it's been. I mean, this has to be like at least four or five years. So now that Rachel's had all these years, you've got to think it's got to be like at minimum five, probably six, seven years, because there was a while where Leah thought she wasn't having children, and then she had another children or another child, and so. Um, uh, it's got to be a while. And Rachel now realizes I'm not having children. And this is painful. This is a really, really big deal. It's a repeated theme in Genesis, and it's a really big deal uh, for them not to be able to have children. And so she says, all right, then uh, let's use this custom. That's a, a, a going custom. We certainly wouldn't approve today. But she says, this is my handmaid, my servant. Um, she's also married to you. Uh, so she will bear children on my behalf. So maybe this would be today, this would be a surrogate uh, pregnancy, right? But uh, it's kind of the equivalent. Uh, and, and you see Jacob, this is one time you see Jacob. Uh, it, it's an interesting interaction where she says, you know, give me children or I die. And Jacob's upset, like, what in the world? I, I'm not in charge of that, right? I can't do anything different. What, what are you upset about? But you can see Rachel's pain. I, I love the, the interaction because you just see all the pain that's involved here. I shouldn't be happy about their pain. I'm not. But, but I love the insights we get into their lives. Again, this makes it real for me because we all have something like this. Uh, yes. We just reach out in pain. And we're like, please fix this. And the other person's like, I, I can't fix it. Why are you asking me to fix that? This is between you and God, right? Anyway, um, so he marries Billa and, um, and she has a, a child and, and Rachel is saying, okay, now, now I'm getting judgment. So judgment is, we, we think of this the wrong way, like as in you're judging someone in a bad way. Judgment means making things the way they should be. And that's what Rachel is feeling here. Like, okay, things are how they should be. Now I'm having children as well through my servant, but now uh, I'm I'm also having children. And so she calls his name Jan, which means Dan, which means Dan. the judge. And then she has a second child. And uh, Rachel says, "All right, well, this is uh, because I've had to and all the wrestlings and strugglings I've gone through." And so she names him Neftali, which has to do with wrestling, right? And now Re Leah says, okay, well, I'm not having children, and she's having children through her handmaids, so I can play that game too. We almost treat these handmaids like they're not people, but they are, right? Yeah. I mean, they're people. Oh, and yeah. I, I have to expect that they're actually happy to have the opportunity to have children, and uh, Jacob's probably a very nice person to be married to, uh, and so on. So I, I expect this is probably good for them. I have no idea how much choice they do or don't have in the matter, and I, I don't know how to judge that culturally, or whatever. I don't think it's my place, so I'm not going to, but I think it's complex for all, every single one of them. This is difficult for all of them. I agree. Again, we don't understand the culture and what that was like. We don't have any 
we don't have much insight into how they felt or what they thought, but they they seem to be getting along. I mean, these these brothers are together for a long time after this, so they have their struggles like any family, but they do survive as a family. Yeah, yeah, and they come together. It's uh, some quicker than others, but yeah. So then she has children. This uh, uh, Zilpah does, uh, and and you get Leah gets to name the child apparently, and she feels like okay, you know, I've already had a bunch, but we're having a bunch more now. So watch, the, you had two through through Villa, Rachel, but look what we're gonna do. So a troop's coming now, right? So she gives him uh, Gad is his name, which means troop, and then she had another son, um, and uh, Leah's so happy about this that she she names him uh, Asher, which is like happy, right? Happy, yeah. Happy he's happy and he knows it so he'll clap his hands <laughs> so so now that's interesting because uh at this point you've got four sons from leah and four sons from the uh the handmaids uh right. so that's eight that's i mean that's this we're talking about a pretty big and somewhat happy family already but we're not done yet right we get reuben finding mandrakes and mandrakes, uh, lots and lots and lots of cultures feel like these have fertility. Uh, they, they help with infertility. Um, right. And uh, when Reuben finds mandrakes and, and Rachel says it, she's like, I need that. I really, 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 really need that. I want to have children. And so then we get this odd thing like uh, time with Jacob is kind of a bartering tool. All right. Okay. Well, you can have time with Jacob tonight if I can have the mandrakes. Right. Um, yeah. If you listen to some other commentaries, there's some pretty funny things that go into there and there's some great wordplay that happens. I don't think we have time to go into it here, but look into that. That's kind of some funny stuff in there. I mean, yeah, I don't mean funny, haha, but just it, it's kind of clever. And some of it's, I don't know, it's kind of a funny, it, it is a funny story as far as a family goes anyway. Yeah. Insight. So when this happens, Leah has another child, uh, calls his name Issachar, which means like uh, he, he will recompense, right? Meaning uh, I was doing something helpful for Rachel. So I'm recompensed. God is blessing me to be able to have children again. And then she has another child. Um, and, uh, and so his name is Zebulon, which like to be high and so on. So she feels like this is really lifting her up, right? So now Leah's had six. So half of the tribes of Israel are from Leah. We shouldn't forget that. I mean, Leah sometimes is short shrifted in the story, but this, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we've got to be serious about great, great, great grandma Leah uh, and, and give her her respect, right? Right. She, she, she's a faithful person. She's sticks in it. She sticks in this with, uh, yep. with the family with, uh, and with Jacob. Yep. Then she has a daughter. They may have had other daughters. It's the only daughter we hear about. And, and uh, the reason I think that we get her name is because she plays into the story later. Uh, and then finally, God remembered Rachel and hearkened to her, which tells us she has been pleading and praying this entire time. And she has a son and she called his name Joseph, which means he, he will add, or maybe Jehovah will add, but, but literally he will add because well, and it's hard to know. Is she saying God has added a son to me, or is she saying I've had this son and I believe God's going to give me another? It almost seems like this is a, pro a prophetic name uh, that that another son will be added, and which of course will happen later after they've left, and that will be Benjamin. How long do you think that uh, that the, um, that Rachel herself is barren? Well, at this point, Leah has had six children, with a gap in between where four children were born. Right. Uh, so we're, we're looking at 10 children. That's got to be like at least 15 years or something like that. 
uh, or maybe the, the 14 that, that he had to work to, to pay off being able to marry her or something along those lines, but it's got to be a while. Yeah, I, yeah, I've seen that. And that, the thought came to mind 20 years because I know it was 20 years before with um, with Rebecca, right? Yeah. She, and so, but I don't have an exact number on this one. I didn't know if you did, but it's a yeah. long time. Again, yeah. we see this thing like this poor woman who wants a, uh, she's been chosen, she's loved and wants to have a, a son so bad and has to wait a good long time. What, 14, 15, 20 years? And maybe, maybe 20 years. Know. Yeah, 20 years makes some sense because they're going to leave somewhere around 21 years or something like that. Right. And Benjamin is born a while after that. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be that long between Joseph and Benjamin, maybe a little while, but not that long. So it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't somewhere around that's the order kinda, of 20 years. That's sort of a stuck in my head just from bumping around. I know that yeah. uh, Rachel, same kind of thing happens to her. So I just, it seems poetic in there. I don't know if it's true, or but Rebecca, least, yeah. I'm sorry, Rebecca, not Rachel, Rebecca. Um, and so I don't know if, it, if 20 years is true, but it, it's a good long time. It's, yeah. it's at least, like you said, 14, 15 years. I mean, yeah, that's most, at the low end. At the low end, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah, so I agree with time. you. So this brings us to a, an interesting uh, point because it, so at this point, we've had 11 of the 12 sons born, and we know Benjamin will be born after they've gone back and, and had the wrestle with the angel, and they're in the, the land of Canaan again. Uh, so there will be 12 sons, and uh, this is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And you have this extra little reading in the Come, Follow Me manual about the 12 tribes, which is something that should also feel fairly real to us for a couple of reasons. One, the scriptures talk about the house of Israel again and again and again. I'd, I'd almost say ad nauseum, but it really shouldn't make us nauseous, which should make us rejoice, <laughs> right? Um, right? But it is just constant how much it talks about the house of Israel. And we all get patriarchal blessings that talk about being of the house of Israel. So this is something that should be pretty real to us. And President Nelson has certainly talked a number of times about how important it is to recognize that we're of the house of Israel and to recognize the tribe we're from and the importance of patriarchal blessings and all this. So this should seem fairly real to us. And I hope that we can kind of address that subject of what it means to be of the house of Israel and, and help us appreciate and understand that and make it a little bit more real to us. Yeah, that's a, I, I like this. And this, I have a, a short anecdote, if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love um, that. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was a scout, um, I think it was probably fourteen or fifteen years old. I had to be somewhere there. I don't think I was driving yet. Um, and anyway, and you lived in California, is that right? No, no, I lived here in, in Arizona. I'm oh, in Arizona. Arizona okay. Yeah, I lived in Arizona, and we had an LDS jamboree, and it was like all these regions. And I don't know how many thousand scouts there, but it was a big jamboree. There was a lot of kids there, and they had us all divided up into tribes. And when you got there, you got 12 cards of your tribe. So I was in the tribe of Issachar. My, our troop was in the tribe of Issachar. And you had 12 cards. And the idea was you needed to trade 11 of those to the other tribes so that you would have a full deck of that. And so go meet the other tribes. But anyway, when we got together at the big group meetings, we sat in our tribe and we lined out in like a spoke of a wheel the way it was. Anyway, it was a really powerful example of being in these tribes and to, it stuck with me all these years how that was kind of an interesting thing to to feel the membership in that tribe like that I still to this day have a little bit of Issachar I think about that and all, all I ever really had of Issachar was a hat and some cards but I felt like ah, I have a, a kinship with the tribe of Issachar anyway it just stuck with me and it was a neat little thing whoever did that jamboree or the group that did that 
I really appreciate the time they took to to demonstrate what that was like and and uh, and to bring the Bible alive to me a little bit. Like, hey, this is how the tribes would, and they they stuck to the tribes, but they traded with other tribes, and this is what you did in your tribe, and you had some you had some pride in your tribe and how that worked. So anyway, fun stuff. Yeah, and I I wish we could help everyone feel that belonging to the house of Israel that, that you're talking about, that you kind of experienced there. That's, that's, I think president Nelson wants us to feel that I'm positive. God wants us to feel that I would suspect great grandpa, Jacob and great grandmas, Leah and Rachel and Zilpah and Billa want us to feel that. Uh, I mean, I was thinking the coolest tribe to be a part of, and that experience would have been Gad because it means troop. So your troop was part of the troop, right? But anyway, um, But uh, I hope we can get everyone to identify more with being of the house of Israel and to fill that belonging and that kinship and uh, that identity. Uh, that should be one of our primary identities. First of all, as a child of God. Second, as a covenant keeper. And as part of being the covenant keeper, it is a covenant keeper in the house of Israel and even within a specific tribe. Well, right. And I want to I want to touch on that a little bit about why would God play favorites? Does that mean he loves other people less? That's I, don't a, that's, I don't think that's fair to say that he loves other people less, but what does it no. mean to be the chosen? I, I think that is a great question. And so, I mean, let's just, just kind of start out by saying I've, I've talked and written about this, maybe really ad nauseum. Um, <laughs> and so we'll only do a little bit here. If you want more, of course, there's my book, God Will Prevail, but uh, I, you can also go to my website, outofthedust.org. And you can find, if you look for the, uh, there's a page there for the Abrahamic Covenant, you'll find links to lots of uh, articles and uh, firesides and podcasts and devotionals and all sorts of stuff where I talk about all these different issues, what it means to be of the House of Israel and the Abrahamic Covenant and so on. I've got lots of material on there. I have uh, uh, even, I think it's coming out this week on, on FAIR. Uh, that's, what is that? The Foundation for Accurate Information Research. I don't know what they, they, they're called. But anyway, they, they, uh, fair.org, right. they, they do lots of LDS stuff. And I have one coming out about what it means to be of the Abrahamic Covenant in the House of Israel. I think it just came out um, uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, so I can, if I remember, I'll put a link for that in the, the, the notes of the page. Uh, so we'll talk, we can talk about it a little bit, but there's lots more you can get on this. Uh, and I'll try and control myself and not do this for three hours right now. Um, <laughs> And, but, and I did just so you, if those of you who are listening, um, I, that wasn't a setup just so, you know, for Carrie, I, that's an honest question that I really have. You know, when, when you talk about the house of Israel, I, I one time gave a talk. It, it, well, an, another anecdote, if you don't mind, it's real short. I was, I was actually a painting when I was in Utah in, in the summer times, I would paint houses with my friend who owned this company. And I had this person say, we were painting his house. They, he was not a member of the church. And he's like, you know, I, you guys are supposed to be really friendly, you Mormon types, but people all around me are Mormon. I don't get invited to any of their stuff. And I thought, mm. that's really odd because usually you hear the opposite. Oh, you guys are so friendly. You've invited me to all your stuff. And I'm, how did this person get missed? And I had in my mind, I gave a talk about it later. I said, in our own lives, are we building the Tower of Babel or are we expanding the stakes of Zion? I'm, and that's a personal thing. Like, are you... Are you trying to keep it all to yourself? Like, no, no, we're the chosen. We're the house of Israel. Don't get in there. You can't come in here. This is us. Or are you expanding the stakes of Zion? The idea is not to be an exclusive people. It is to be the people of the covenant, which extends to all people. So it's not meant to yeah. be a point of pride a be, a, you know, or overly prideful. You know, it, it, you, of course, you want to have some, you're pleased and you want to be proud of your tribe. But this is not an exclusive club. 
to keep other people out. This is join the house of Israel and eventually all people join the, the house of God. But yeah. Anyway. And let's, let's talk about that. And maybe I'll share uh, two anecdotes then uh, about why we should care so much. One is inspired by the one you just shared. I'll, I'll always remember I served my mission in Southern California, my very first area. Uh, I was fortunate that actually, as we moved it, we were opening up the area. It's Murrieta, Temecula area for anyone who knows it. Oh, yeah. and, and we were opening up that area. And as we were moving into our apartment, actually, I, I dropped um, a, a dish. We were carrying up our stuff we, you know, we needed to cook with and stuff. And it broke. And a guy came out and we ended up uh, teaching that guy and converting him. So uh, he heard the breaking dish like, what's going on? Anyway, so that was the first person we taught. But the second person we taught was this 17-year-old girl who had a friend in the ward that was kind of being established there. And she was really interested and she, she wanted to join the church, but she was under 17. So we had to get permission from her parents. Uh, so we, we went to talk to her parents and they wouldn't give permission. And we asked why, and, and uh, they said, well, you know, we don't want her to be part of a group that can be so exclusive and so mean. And we started to talk to her and say, what, what makes you say that? And they had lived um, around a lot of members of the church. I'll get, I'll get to where in just a second, but they'd lived around a lot of members of the church and, and said at her grade school, when she was young and at her grade school, she was excluded and sometimes picked on because she wasn't a member of the church. And the more we talked to her, I figured out she'd been in my grade school. Oh no! Now, she was a couple of years younger than me, uh, so I, I didn't know her. You know, I was I was nineteen and she was seventeen, so I, I hadn't known her and so on. But she was uh, the age of uh, lots of people that I knew, and uh, I always felt like we were nice to everyone, but apparently not, right? And and that has stuck with me forever. Uh, she she did eventually join. I, I, I if I remember, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but I I heard that she joined later when she was an adult. But I don't actually know for sure. In fact, we don't have Facebook. It didn't have Facebook then, so I couldn't keep in touch with anyone. And you're not supposed to write girls in your mission, so I didn't write her or anything. But uh, but I've never forgotten how devastated I was that the the what I felt were like the good people I grew up with had made a family feel that way rather than feeling included and wanted. Uh, and I can understand how sometimes it happens accidentally that you right. had a ward get together and uh, other people just didn't hear about it, right? When we should be making sure everyone hears about everything all the time. But but it, realistically, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Um, but this sounds like it was sometimes kids being mean because they were different. And, and that, that breaks my heart. Um, and so I hope that we won't be that way. And I think this is a, a relevant topic. You're not the only one that has this question. This is the other anecdote I was going to share just uh, a few days ago. So today's Saturday on Wednesday in one of my classes, an ancient Near Eastern studies class I teach at BYU. Uh, my students wanted to talk about this. One of them said, well, yeah, it seems like God's choosing favorites here. He's, he's picking mm -hmm. favorites. And, and why is that? And so and these are people who are studying the Bible. Uh, and, and so I think uh, that's a question that is, is common and it's worth addressing. So um, let me, and now I'm talking a lot, but let me just kind of start no, out and fine. then jump in how and when you want. But um, I think, first of all, we have to, to back way up and remember that God, with, starting with Adam, God wanted all of Adam's children to receive the covenant, but many chose to follow Satan rather than God. Right. So the covenant ends up being restricted, not because God is playing favorites, but because people self-selected out of the covenant. That's great. Self-selected. Let's remember that word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are going to come back to that a couple of times. Right. Of course, we get uh, the same thing happening in Enoch's day and, and some self-select to be in the covenant and they're taken up and others self-select to not, even though they really tried to get them to be in the covenant, they didn't want to be. 
continues on to Noah's day. Noah's trying for 120 years to get anyone to join the covenant. When they do, they're taken up, but most don't. So they're self-selected out. And But after Noah, it seems like everyone should have the chance. But for reasons I don't fully understand, some don't have the opportunity, some fam's descendants, I really don't understand why. But we know there's still lots of people who are having the opportunity for the covenant. So for example, the Jaredites, you have this whole huge nation that's going on. They're not of the house of Israel, right? They're pre-Israel, they're pre-Abraham. We get, um, for example, uh, I'm, I'm convinced that there are groups that we just don't have any record of and we don't know about. But the people we do have some record of, we get the Midianites. Now, they're descended from Abraham, but they're not of the house of Israel. They're descended from Keturah. The Midianites hold the Melchizedek priesthood of the covenant because Jethro's father-in-law, I mean, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro or Ruel, he has two names, he he's, holds the Melchizedek priesthood. So they are part of the covenant. It seems pretty clear that Ishmael has lots of access and lots of ways to the covenant. Maybe the whole thing, just like like uh, Midian, the son of Keturah uh, wow. and Abraham. So you get little glimpses of other people having that opportunity to have the covenant. And at some point, they self-select out of it, right? They, they stop keeping the covenant. They die out. They go apostate. You also have these little clues. For example, when the covenant's made with Abraham, God tells him uh, it will be 400 years before where your descendants will have to be someplace else because this place won't be ready for them yet. We're, it basically says we're giving the Canaanites a chance. Right. You compare that with 1 Nephi 17, where Nephi says, well, they rejected every word of God. And that's why they're, they're, it sounds like for 400 years, God was trying to get them to select to be in the covenant, and they chose not to. They self-selected out of the covenant. So it's not that they're not supposed to be in the covenant, it's that they're or they're not allowed in the covenant, it's that they wouldn't join the covenant despite 400 years of trying to get them to join, right? right, right. So what you have, you do have some group also, Melchizedek. I mean, he's not descended from Abraham uh, at all. He's descended from Noah, obviously, but him and his city, uh, they are part of the covenant and, and they join in, and there's some evidence that they're translated. Um, and so uh, then you have, Abraham. I'm convinced there are other people elsewhere in the world at the time that have the covenant going on and so on. And they, at some point they go apostate. Everyone always seems to go apostate eventually. Um, but what you get then is Abraham, who is a person who's come from a group who was had the covenant and had chosen not to keep it, except for Abraham. Abra they all self-selected out. He selected in to keep the covenant. Right. And so the covenant is going to continue with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because they chose to be part of the covenant. Whereas right. Esau was choosing not to, and then he kind of chooses to and kind of not and kind of to, right? Right, um, right. And so what you're getting is, is a chosen people, but God chose them, but they also chose God. This covenant is going through people who have made the choice to serve God and choose God. And then what we know as Latter-day Saints, because it's in the book of Abraham, it's not anywhere else, that that covenant, part of the covenant was go get everyone else to be part of the covenant. You have an obligation to, to spread the covenant. Now, they right. lose sight of that. Uh, Jacob's descendants lose sight of that. So, and, and I think it's interesting that it's only in the book of Abraham. It's not in the Old Testament. So when Nephi has this vision where they take out covenants and, and uh, truth from the Bible, I think that has to be one of the elements of the covenant that's taken out. Satan's successful in getting the idea of spreading the covenant out, which is a, right. if you're going to get something out of the covenant and you're Satan, that's the best thing to get out, right? doesn't matter what else stays in. No one gets it. So... <laughs> So you get uh, this covenant, it's supposed to be spread, but they end up losing sight of that so much and becoming so self-centered and, and prideful that by the time you get to Jesus's day, 
they feel like it's a sin to even talk to a Gentile, much less try and get them to be part of the covenant. Right. And that's not, that's never God's plan to, no. to do that. That's where you, that's where, that's where people have overreached or underreached, whatever you want to call it. That's yeah. where, that's where people have taken the covenant and built a hedge around it or whatever and made it exclusive. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's exactly right. And you see in the law of Moses, it's certainly built in there ways for people to become part of the covenant. Yes. It's not left in the Bible that they were charged to go do it. And I don't know when they lost sight of that and so on. So you see some examples of people joining the covenant, um, but it's not a widespread thing, but that's not because it wasn't supposed to be. It's because they were failing to do things the way that it was intended that they do it. But think about the covenant today. Today, we know very well, and President Nelson has made it abundantly clear that our obligation to the covenant is to get people to join the covenant. And you think of everything we do uh, in terms of every member of missionary, in terms of full-time missions for uh, young adults, for older adults, uh, in terms of the resources the church throws into it. Uh, well, and then temples, think- Temples yeah, is the same thing. You're, you're united right. with your, your, your predecessors, right? Yeah, every bit as much to try and get people on the other side of the veil to join the covenant, all the efforts. So literally, we want everyone to be part of this covenant, and we want you dead or alive, right? We don't care which (laughs) side of the veil you're on. We want you to join this covenant. This is the most inclusive thing in the history of the planet. Right. But, uh, But sometimes, as imperfect beings, we're not as good at that as we have covenanted to be. Right. And let's pause here for just a second. So we cut a couple of things. Let me just so codify a couple of things he said in there. First of all, one of the reasons why we have this covenant is because this is the story we have. It doesn't mean that elsewhere on the earth, there wasn't other chosen people. We, we There yeah. may be other records that come out later. There may be other prophets that we don't know. We're, I, I'm we're sure really, that's the case. Oh, yeah. I'm, it says it elsewhere. We can talk about that some other time. But, yeah. but there are other people there. It just so happens that this is the lineage of uh, Jesus Christ, which is all as a savior is all important. And that's why we're learning about this covenant people. It doesn't mean there's other people and branches like the book of Mormon talks about the people. So the Lord's not being exclusive with his love to other people, even with Esau, he blesses Esau and Edom. He's also called Edom. He blesses Esau and he becomes very prosperous and he's with him in certain times. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, he just, because he doesn't get the birthright. It's not like you're out, dude. It's, 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 um, he's with him. It's just that we're reading about the covenant people here for this specific type of covenant, but that's supposed to extend to all people, you know, yeah. through time. And there are times where the Edomites were actually included in, uh, Judah and, sure. and, uh, uh, they're part of the covenant. So they're, yeah. they're called, they later get called Edomans. That's the Latinized version of it. And you see that there are lots of Edomans who are part of the covenant and some are kind of like Herod, the great is an Edoman who, yeah, kind of in the covenant, kind of not right. He, he, he has certainly has the opportunity to be fully, and he's self-selected to be, eh. Yeah, um, they intermingle for sure. And and to what degree they become faithful in the covenant. Yeah. You know, Herod's not a great example of no super. He, he's a great king, but he's not a great covenant keeper. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, great king only in some ways, but yeah, well, yeah he's a great, great builder. He, he, yeah. builds, he's great, he builds a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are other demands who are, it's clear, are very faithful covenant keepers and, and so on. So I, I think you're absolutely right. And that, that brings us to another reason why there would be a chosen people. Uh, and that is that God needs someone to do the work. 
right? He needs okay. someone to represent him on earth and get this covenant and this gospel spread, to get the ordinances spread to all the earth. And that's what I was going to bring up. The, the second point is, is that sometimes there are certain tasks for certain people. And some of that takes a certain amount of time. Like if you were, um, I don't have a great example off the top of my head, but you, sometimes you have to learn. Like, for instance, bishops are, are, are called, you might know a little about this. Bishops are not usually your first convert. It's not like they couldn't be. Maybe they are. But usually bishops or maybe state presidents, you need to learn a few things about how the church works and about, you know, working within the system because it takes a while to figure this stuff out. It's not like you, it, it's, it's complex to be able to deal with an organization that oversees so many people and lives and funds and buildings and things like that. It takes a little bit to do that. And so when you think, oh, all the bishops come from these kind of people. Well, not necessarily, but it takes a while to figure that out. So if you're going to work with a, a group of people that have work to do, like temple building, and, and they know covenants and the symbols and things, it takes a while to do that. It doesn't mean you can't come in at any time um, or you could fall out anytime. time, I guess, if you want to look at it negatively. But the point is, is that it takes time for these things to happen. It doesn't happen overnight. So when you talk about a covenant people, these are the people that are carrying on these traditions, and you have to have time in that covenant yeah. to be yeah, able to stand So that's absolutely. my second thought. Mm -hmm. And you have to have someone who just is going, you say, you're, you go do this. Right. Go get everyone else to do it, right? So yeah. Israel's job is not to be exclusive. Their job is to get everyone else to be part of the house of Israel, but it has to be someone. And if you think about it, if God needs someone to do his work, and you ask yourself, well, what kind of organization does God like to deal with? Well, his favorite organization is the family. So you kind of expect he's going to find a family who has chosen to serve him and demonstrated that they're willing to serve him no matter how difficult it is to serve him. Like maybe even be willing to sacrifice their son or be willing to come back to the promised land when someone wants to kill them and their whole family or whatever it is, right? right. Um, they, they demonstrate they're willing to serve him no matter what. And you say, okay, this family you're, you're, you've chosen me, you're faithful in the covenant. Now, please go get everyone else to be part of the covenant. It's, it's your job. I'm asking you to represent me and get everyone else to be part of the, the covenant. So it doesn't mean that they're more special, that they're more, they have more prestige or privilege. It means that's their job. That's what right. they've been asked to do. That's yeah, it's work. That's the exactly priest, right. And, and it's, it isn't, when you get the priesthood, it's not about being better than it's about you got a task to do, brother. You better get out there and get some stuff done. That's exactly right. And that's true of, of holding the priesthood or of, of being or, uh, ordained or set apart to do something by the priesthood, whether yeah. that's the Relief Society president right. or a missionary or becoming part of the covenant. Right, exactly. Right? The, 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 they're all uh, priesthood uh, overseen. Or pre uh, they happen by power of the priesthood. And so uh, the world wants us to think of these things as power, prestige, privilege, Right. Right. And that's not how God wants us to think of them. He says, uh, he says to Peter or to uh, John and James, the, the princes of the Gentiles, they want to exercise power over them, but it shouldn't be that way among you. He who is, is uh, greatest should be the least and the servant of all. Where he tells Joseph Smith, you know, the problem is, well, he has Joseph Smith tell us, the problem is that as soon as you get a little authority, you start to think you're pretty cool and you do stupid stuff with it. Right, right, right. right. That's an exact quote, I think. But anyway. Um, <laughs> pretty uh, close. <laughs> so that's the influence of the world, whereas God wants us to see this as a call to service. That's all it is. And he wants everyone to have that opportunity. And so he says, Israel, you go do it. And in fact, Israel is scattered 
through all the world because God is trying to get them to come back into the covenant. That's another whole topic that you'll have to like do right. read all my stuff and watch whatever. But um, uh, as he's trying to, to humble them, he scatters them the whole world. But I think part of the reason for that is so that when he gathers them, they can bring the whole world with them. Right. That's the point of Israel is to bring the world with them to come back to God. And so it means something to be of the house of Israel because of all the promises, but those promises are covenant promises and they're contingent upon the obligations. And one of the obligations is get everyone to be part of this promise. Great. Great. So it's really, it's going back to my um, experience of being a scout and being organized in the tribe of Issachar and, and having that pride or having being proud of being that part of that. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to point out is how do you know when you've crossed the line from being from being part of a, a chosen or a covenant people and when you are are being um, the, the person who leaves the Samaritan, you know, who's not the Samaritan, who leaves the, the, the hurt person on the side of the road. And the, the key is pride, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm well-founded if you look at uh, almost everything that uh, that President Benson said on that. If you if your pride goes over that line, then you know you're out of bounds. Now you're building the Tower of Babel instead of extending the stakes of Zion. And that's where we need to be careful. It, it's great to have, be proud that you're a part of the, the children of Israel, that you're part of the house of Israel, that you are proud to be an LDS person or going back to the saints. If you read the, the book Saints, it's great to be part of the gathering and, and hey, we're, we're the new, we're the, 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 the church reestablished in these days. But what happens in Missouri, they let the pride get out of control and they start making enemies with their neighbors. Yeah. So anyway, I don't mean this to be a judgy thing. I don't I don't want to point anybody out for for not being inclusive, but just think about it in your own mind. Keep the pride in check and look to extend the stakes of Zion. That's that's what I think. I agree. And I think that one of those things is as soon as you feel like you're better than someone else, if, if that's the feeling you're feeling rather than you would like to help that someone else and yeah. you wish that you could bless them with the same covenant. That's, that's part of when you can tell you're crossing that line, right? It's right. Like, because as president Benson said, charity is like an antidote to pride, right? When you are wanting to help that person, then you're not having pride. When you're wanting to be better than that person. Eh, now you're, yeah. now you're not in the covenant. Yeah. Keep the pride in check. So there's maybe one other element, and then we'll have to wrap this up because this oh, is yeah, getting long. Going long. But and maybe um, we'll split this into two. Maybe you'll hear this in two parts. But yeah, but uh, there's one other element that I think is is worth talking about. And then, like I said, there's so much more on this covenant that you can get. I'll I'll, I'll put links to a couple of little lectures in the web notes. But um, one of the things is to recognize that there the covenant is based on God wanting to have a closer relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there, there, when we make and keep the covenant, there is a closer relationship and there is a, a, an extra kind of love and mercy available within there. Now, that's not to say God doesn't love all of his children. That's to say, just like in a marriage covenant, which God compares us to so often, just like in a marriage covenant, when you make that covenant with each other and you're faithful to each other, it creates a relationship that's not possible in a different setting, right? Right. Yeah. So my wife loves everyone. I really hope she loves me in a different way than she loves everyone else. I, 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 that's what we want, isn't it? And, and so that's what is, is created within the covenant relationship. So again, it's not that God is choosing favorites. 
It's that he's begging everyone to come and be in this relationship with him. And when you are, then there's more that's possible, more unity with him, more opportunity with him, more uh, willingness to work with each other, as, as hopefully happens in a marriage relationship as well, right? Sometimes it doesn't work that way. It's how it's supposed to happen. And, and so that's kind of the, the antidote. Uh, I don't know if you remember this talk. I think it was Elder Christopherson where he talked about, okay, God loves us all unconditionally, but there's also an element that's not unconditional because uh, the relationship is affected by whether you keep the commandments or not, or we could say whether you keep the covenant or not, right? So God absolutely loves everyone unconditionally, but the relationship is affected by the way we act. Uh-huh. Not whether he loves us and whether he wants to keep helping us, but the, the, the unity, the closeness, uh, the, the way you, the, your ability to fill his love and your ability to love him, all of those things are affected by whether you're keeping the covenant or breaking the covenant. Uh, you just feel differently about him if you're breaking the covenant. And you're not as able to feel his love for you if you're breaking the covenant. And you aren't going to get the same blessings if you're breaking the covenant. Right. Uh, and, and so there, that, that special relationship as part of the covenant is important. And people are, tend to hear that as exclusive. But again, it's not. God is desperate. Right. Just like I'm sure with all of your children, you are desperate to have a close relationship with them. And if some of them are upset right now or whatever, you want them to come back to you, but you can't make them, right? You want them to That's say, right. okay, get over this and come back and let's let's have a great relationship right now. I know I had to send you to your room and that made you upset, but get over it. Let's have a close relationship. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's up to them. You're ready. Are they ready is the question. And that's where God is with us as well. And I think that that helps us understand what it means to be as a chosen people a little bit more. But but really, I would just beg and plead with everyone to identify as a member of the House of Israel and to learn what that means. Take what, what President Nelson asked us in the October 2020 conference where he said, study the blessings promised to Israel and so on. Take that seriously. And, and, and as we study the Old Testament this year, come to understand what it means to be of the House of Israel and to be a part of the Abrahamic covenant and a keeper of that covenant. If you'll do that, the Old Testament is going to come alive for you in a different way. You're going to find greater joy in, in meaning in your life. It's just going to be wonderful in so many ways. I can't express how many ways. And you can tell I'm excited about it. And I'll just calm down for a minute. So. No, no, I think you're, that's great. I didn't want to interrupt your role. I think that what you said is right. This is, these are the promises that are, that belong to you, not just to the chosen people, not just to the Jews. Um, they all have their place. They all have their part to play, but these, these blessings that we're hearing from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now Israel, um, these are, these apply to you. If you fall, if you choose, you self-select into the covenant path. It's, these are your blessings. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you. Well, it's been fun. We had a great, that's great. I've, I've been excited about talking about this. I say that every time, but it's true. I get excited about talking these topics and, and getting into some of the weeds on some of these things is fun to, to, to learn about our, our predecessors, our, our early progenitors and what they went through and how they navigated life and how it applies to us. And I hope we, hopefully we've connected some of those points here today and how this connects with my life and maybe with your life and how we make these things come alive for us. I, I hope so as well. It is just good, clean fun. It really is. Thank you, Lamar. <laughs> hey, thanks, Carrie. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have, have a great uh, day to you and all of our audience. And we hope that uh, if you enjoy this, please spread the word. 
uh, the more people we can help uh, be part of Israel and, and uh, get excited about Israel and everything else, the better. Spread the word, uh, like, share, tell your friends and neighbors, call your mom and your grandma and Aunt Zelda and, uh, and everything else that you can do. And uh, we just appreciate you and are grateful that we're all in this together. All right. Thanks. See you next time.